welcome back to 64, a chess podcast. I am David, your host, uh, coming at you live from Champaign, Illinois. Joining me on the podcast today, renowned commentator for the St. Louis Chess Club, under-16 world champion in 2007, uh, got a full scholarship to UT Dallas in 2010, won the National Open in 2018, won the Millionaire Chess Open under-25-50 section, I think in 2015, uh, trainer and second for Fabiano Caruana, and most importantly, legendary chess podcaster, Please welcome Christian Chirilla to the show. How's it going, Christian? Hey, how's it going, David? Uh, pleasure to be on, on on the pod. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, of course. I mean, so I will just start this by saying um, to all my listeners, if you have not heard of Christian's podcast, the C-Squared podcast, you're probably living under a rock. So let me take you um, out of your rock and pause this. Go on YouTube or wherever you get your pods and sub to that. It will make your life better. This is. <laughs> I <laughs> this, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's by far the best chess podcast on the market right now. I've been so impressed. the The interviews are fantastic. Just the banter is amazing. The production quality is like, like unmatched. And I think you guys should really be, you should be very proud of the product that. Uh, you're making because both of you have gained a ton of fans and it's every everything that you all the attention you guys get is well deserved in my opinion so so keep up the good work um you know appreciated <laughs> yeah no this is what we what we kind of tried to uh, to bring to the market as well it was um both of our visions and we were discussing the idea for quite a, a long time in fact um i think even going back to like 2018 and uh back when we were getting ready for the world championship match and we were still discussing these type of ideas um down the road um and recently in may we reunited in romania actually i was doing commentary for the grand chess tour and we were occasionally having breakfast with fabiano and um yeah it, pitched the idea to him and he seemed interested I think also him doing some commentary for the world championship match helped and him receiving a lot of very good feedback for that one because I mean Fabiano is pretty much a natural and um people like to listen to him he he has uh great insights he has uh, in incredible knowledge and he has a pretty decent voice as well. A very nice yeah. radio voice, very calm voice. So I think that definitely helps. And yeah, just uh, him getting a lot of good feedback, uh, I, I think helped him um, make this decision as well to join the pod. Yeah, you know, my mom always used to say that I have a face for radio. <laughs> she did not. That's, <laughs> uh, That's no, why there's no, no video. Yeah, there's no going back. Yeah, I, I, uh, I've heard that one. I've heard that one. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fabi does have. I will say there was something I wanted to ask. Um, I was going to ask this later, but I may as well ask now. So I remember Fabiano doing the commentary for World Chess Championship, and I was like, I was stunned. I mean, even the like the critic, like the the critical analysis and all of that aside, like his personality really shined through. And at least just from like watching interviews with him over the past three years. I got the sense that he was just mostly, you know, like a timid, very hardworking chess player. And then suddenly in the World Championship, I see this like whole, like very humorous side to him. And it's like a very kind personality. So what I'm wondering is like, is that like a side of Fabiano that's really blossomed in the last few years? Or is that something that you've always known in him? Obviously having worked with him for, for a while. 
Oh, he's 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 been like that for a while, um, and maybe it has blossomed in the public eye, but uh, on a personal level, I knew his personality, and I, I I knew the potential that he has once he opens up to to the public. Um, again, I think just the world championship. Um, match where he was asked to commentate was um, a big switch for him and just being in the spotlight like that not as a chess player but rather as a commentator and um, working the other side let's say of the business opened uh, a lot of doors for him and opened his eyes as well and he realized that yeah I mean this is this is a cool thing to do and I think he enjoys it a lot as well so and through. I've been doing this for a while. I mean, it's mostly been my job since 2016 when I started working with the club. Um, so, yeah, I've I've been doing it for a while. So can I ask, why now? Like, why did you decide, like, 2022 is when we start the podcast? That's a good question. Um, I think we just recently kind of um, reunited on, on, on the Grand Chess Tour uh, circuit. And um, Fabiano has been quite busy and he's always busy. Um, he always has a tournament uh, happening and he was living in Europe for a while. So I haven't seen him in 2021 as much and even at the beginning of 2022. And obviously with the pandemic and everything that was happening, people were kind of um, just staying at home. And yeah, we, we, we didn't connect as much on a, on a personal level on the road. And then when we reconnected let's say during the grand gesture in romania we kind of started discussing i mean we were still keeping contact obviously on on the internet and things of that nature but um i always had this idea of starting a podcast and i felt that um the world of chess is missing let's say not not to bash any other chess podcast because i think there's a lot of good content out there yeah be careful what you say right now man be careful (laughs) (laughs) there was i mean you have an amazing podcast perpetual chess is amazing as well uh i've been a fan of uh of of you band for for a very long time um one thing that i felt was missing was that um none of the podcasts had video and none of them were like um gathering as much attention on youtube specifically i know they have a lot of attention on spotify and apple podcast and uh platforms um, specifically related to podcasting but not so much on youtube and i felt that the chess world would like that as well and of course couple that with the fact that um you know fabiano is one of the most respected players and 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 figures in the world of chess and he has ridiculous uh knowledge um i felt that the product would be a good fit um for 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 the market and i thought that we would be able to bring some some insights that people will be interested in hearing about yeah i mean i i think you know i was thinking about this like i think there's basically two ways to have a good podcast you either have no idea what you're talking about, but you <laughs> really make it seem like you do. And that's what I think I'm really good at. And um, or you do the opposite where you know what you're talking about and you know, you talk about it. That's like the two ways you have a podcast, I, I think. And um, and I, what I will say also is to me, the most impressive thing is the the production value. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that... what you guys have behind the scenes. 
but it's remarkable. Like the, I, I see the kind of mics you're using. I see like, uh, you know, I see like what you guys do with the camera work and stuff like that. Like all of that stuff is like equipment. I, I remember your interview with, um, Rami with Alejandro Ramirez. Alejandro. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing like the, some of the, the little devices for the, to make the episode work. So I, I have no, I'm really curious, like how much work do you guys put in like per episode? Like just like from start to finish. Quite, quite a lot, quite a lot. So the production, uh, I mean, we travel um, and I'm lucky enough that my fiance actually works in production and she used to work in production shows. So she helps a lot behind the scenes. Um, and uh, we were able to also get some equipment and, and uh, all the good stuff based on her knowledge. And we kind of understood what we need to get and the type of cameras that we need to get. Um, but yes, there's... We, we travel with like three to four big suit suitcases and we kind of set it up in let's say an hour an hour and a half and then um and then we we shoot it and then there's the post-production which obviously you know very well it takes a while as well to uh to put out there um we it's have the hardest part honestly in my yeah, opinion yeah we we have an editor that works day in and day out to try to put the pod on time every thursday we try to keep um, a good schedule as well i think that's also a very important part of podcasting and you probably know that as well <laughs> my listeners um, don't i have no consistent schedule um and that i think you know i have noticed especially because i've started a phd now yeah so i haven't had the same kind of time let's say and also as you know when we were organizing this i'm also all over the place with my schedule yeah yeah but like it actually affects the algorithm i've seen this with the data like when I'm putting stuff out consistently, like, uh, yeah, it, and also gets recommended more than if you're just putting things out like completely sporadically or like I'll put two episodes ba on back to back days and I won't publish anything for a month. Like that stuff does affect. I mean, if you're looking at just having like a professional growth and stuff like that stuff matters a lot. Guaranteed. So. Guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that was, you know, part of what we tried to establish from the get go. Um just try to keep a professional schedule and pro professional production we've had some serious technical issues at the beginning um i <laughs> i they weren't shown let's just put it that way in in the final cut but we had a lot of uh production issues in the first few episodes and we still do we still do have technical issues here and there um some of it's unavoidable though like sometimes it like, is yeah. you had a you had a kiva on right the the lawyer uh the other yes. day yes. and the zoom was like cutting in and out and there's not really much you can do about that and also yes. i noticed you guys do some like you do like the live broadcast sometimes as well where if it's yes. like some of these episodes where you're just like okay unfiltered right you just go put on youtube stream that's it um which is also by the way a very bold decision um hmm. because you know there's all this controversy with twitch and that twitch might be uh like a dying streaming brand. So you actually, you know, going on YouTube is like right place at the right time as well. I, I think you're like the first really chess people to stream exclusively on YouTube. I believe so too. Yeah. So the problem with Twitch is that um, on Twitch and I've done Twitch as well. Um, I, I've tried my hand at streaming and I've enjoyed it actually quite a lot. The problem is consistency with Twitch. You kind of have to be live every single day. And if you're not, then uh, your audience dies down. And um, 
that's a problem. Fabiano cannot be live every single day. I mean, the guy is still training to become a world champion, right? He, uh, he His time is very limited. I occasionally have two, three weeks when I have to go to St. Louis or somewhere else travel for commentary, and I cannot be on Twitch during those days. So we decided, we made the decision that YouTube is the better platform um, for what we need. But of course, Twitch is a great platform, and I and I really like watching Twitch as well. Um, chess has a lot of um, figures uh, and 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 models on uh, on 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 Twitch that um, yeah have grown the game pretty much. I know. Yeah, hashtag the, grow the game, right? Hashtag yeah. grow the game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, so. it, it it is uh it is. I think so far I've I've like every episode I got a TV like in my room. And I put every episode on, on my brand new TV, you know, just end of the day, end of my Thursdays, I just put it on into a little <laughs> conversation. And, you know, yeah. I it's also great that I feel like a project like this could have easily become like the Fabiano Caruana show. And I think that the balance of the personalities is perfect. I, I, I always love the questions that you guys ask. I love how you guys move the conversation. I think you, you guys are like really like yin and yang in some ways with how you how you balance conversations and stuff. And uh, I think you, you bring out the best in each other's interviews. So hey, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I, there, you uh, know, there's other Grandmaster podcasts, you know, there was like Late Night with David Howell and stuff, but that, you know, that seemed to slow down. So my only hope is that you guys don't slow down because I'm a big fan. Yes, that's so that's the plan right now. We try to um, keep a constant schedule. And again, the work sometimes might prevent us from putting together the best production but um uh we 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 try to keep a constant constant uh workflow and 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 um be out with episodes every thursday and if the public enjoys it then that fuels us as well that gives us motivation to continue and um yeah i it, it's a long-term project for right. both myself and fabiano and um i'm enjoying it and i i know that he enjoys it as well so um it's it's off to a good start have you uh how, how long have you been like a podcast fan i've been i've been listening to podcasts for a very very long time um i i, I guess uh 2020 was pretty much a big year for podcasts right i i remember waking up at like seven uh seven o'clock in the morning uh, maybe like a few months into the pandemic finally i managed to get some sort of a routine going wake up uh, at a normal time, you know, do my workout and listen to the podcasts while I empty the dishwasher, things of that nature. Um, so that's kind of the moment where, when it became a big thing for me also, um, there's a lot of great content out there. Um, I mean, you have, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, the Huberman Lab podcast. I don't know yeah, the neuroscience one, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a big one. And there's a lot of actionable content on on that one that I've enjoyed and tried to implement in my own life as well. So that helped. I just feel like this is this is the medium that we use nowadays. My generation, uh, the next generation. I feel I, I don't watch TV. Um, I, I I rather watch YouTube and uh, curate my own content. Let's say and curate what I want to listen to. So um, yeah, I've been listening to podcasts for for quite some time and of course 2020 was not the only uh the year that i started but that's when it kind of became a big part of uh of my journey i do this uh ride all the time between columbia where i live and st louis and that's like a two-hour drive 
and every single time I, I, I shoot a podcast and I, I try to listen to some interesting stuff. So, uh, and I've done that right so many times in the last four years. So, yeah. But it's, you know, it's, uh, that's two hours is a perfect podcast distance too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You, know, you can sneak in one or two episodes like, and, uh, or you get one of those. I mean, what Lex Friedman had something with like an oh, eight Lex hour Friedman interview. Is, I, I love Lex Friedman. As he well. gave you a yeah. shout out. I don't know how you feel about that. He gave he, you. He did. He did. <laughs> that, that was very humbling, to be honest. I mean, yeah. I never expected it, but uh... it's messed up. He didn't mention mine. Like, what is wrong with him? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I look. There is much more established pod, chess podcasts out there. Um, we're we're just we're, we're new. We're new in this business. So. Yeah, it's it's a competitive business out here. It's uh, it's really it's a doggy dog world out here. You know, you, <laughs> you make some enemies and you got a big podcast. I mean, the, the worst part about this, you know, before the whole chess podcaster thing, I would say I was probably like the second or third strongest chess player who had a podcast. You know, like yeah, okay. you, you know, like hovering with my two thousand rating or whatever. You know, okay, there's like Jen Shahadi's uh is a WGM. Ben Johnson is a national master, whatever. Yeah. Maybe I get lucky in a game off one of those guys. Now yeah. it's like Fabiano and Christian. So if we <laughs> ever have, I was going to hold like, you know, world podcaster championships and I have no chance anymore. Oh, there's others that are stronger, but my point stands like now there's it's like the chicken chess podcast. Oh, yeah. I now mean, those guys, I mean, there, there's no hope anymore. I can't there's, win. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of GMs in the podcasting business yeah. for sure. It's yeah. messed up. <laughs> no, but I think this is, quite important and uh just the support you get from other podcasters i think this is the best way to kind of reach um new people and and expand uh this uh, this medium right the chess podcasting long form content for chess um just to support each other and i think um yeah you band chicken chess the, the, you guys are all doing a good job of, of, of doing that and achieving that now I want to actually ask you some questions. So, you know, just as you said, get people to get to know you a little bit better. You know, you're from from Romania. Fabiano was playing against Eric on your podcast and there is some pawn push like H4 or something. Mm -hmm. And then I think I remember you saying, oh, it's like Romanian school of chess. Or maybe you or Fabi. Did and I, I say thought, that? Yeah. And I, you you had something like, oh, like push the push like the A pawn Romanian school of chess. <laughs> and I, I don't know. It, it was some sort of comment like that. I remember a pawn push on the flank and i remember somebody saying romanian school of chess i don't remember exactly which episode so i couldn't like like you know do my diligent search or whatever but um i do want to ask you you know you were raised in the romanian school of chess uh what is the romanian school of chess like because every country has its own like little way of educating of mm, educating its people i i i feel we're pretty uh classic oriented so we studied the classics um we're very close to let's say the russian school of chess uh classic good openings uh good end games uh, things of uh, that nature but i'm born and raised in romania but also around the time when i was like around 12 i would assume 13 already the engines and computers were starting to um coming to the scenes and pretty much dominate the scenes the scene of um of training yeah of chess training and chess preparation so I'm half raised with notebooks and writing my own openings on notebooks and being all classical about it and half um, 
half of my upbringing is uh, very closely related to 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 engines and analyzing with a computer and using database uh, databases and things of that nature. So I feel I'm kind of a hybrid in that regard. I'm, uh, but yes, the, the, to answer your question, I think the Romanian chess school is um, very closely related uh, and similar to the Russian, very classical school of chess. Well, that, that's actually an interesting comment, though. Um, so you think that the advent of engines as like a main way to study has like kind of killed this like national way of studying chess completely? Because I know like the Netherlands, they have like also this like, you know, book based, like their color books of like how you improve in chess and stuff. And it's like very standardized. And it's why they have so many strong players. Obviously, a lot has been said about the Russian school. American school of chess can be very wild west from my experience talking to American chess yes. players. Like, yes. but I, I feel the American one is uh, a very much uh, work on your own for the most part. Um, but that has been changing a little bit as well. You have, for example, just to give you a recent example, you have Dallas, which was not necessarily a big hub uh, for chess players before the university started, the University of Texas at Dallas. And after that, due to the fact that there were so many grandmasters around coming in and out and playing in weekly competitions, um, they, they, they help uh, breed a uh, sort of uh, chess hub. And then you have guys like Jeffrey Shong emerging from that. Uh, I know Jeffrey since he was like 10, for example. And um, I think that's the first time he actually beat me. But he <laughs> was getting exposed to playing uh, against grandmasters from all over the place, all over the world at an early age. And I think that's kind of how the American chess scene is looking right now. You have these hubs where people from all over the world come and... Um, and 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 the youngsters get to experience all these cultures and then they're very much used to working on their own with their computers um, a lot of them don't even have coaches uh, so it's 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 a very interesting school for sure the russians on the other hand i mean you go to moscow and uh, you will find like three ridiculously good chess schools chess academies right three five ten who knows um and then that's kind of how they grow. They grow with each other. I think it's more individualistic in the U.S. And even in the U.S., I mean, uh, well, you actually, you went to school, UT Dallas. You are yeah. just, just yeah. like a scholarship. So what was your like first experiences of United States chess? Like what, what were some of your first thoughts? Like when you came here and started playing tournaments? I, I lost 40 rating points uh, <laughs> off the bat. I think it was like the first two, three tournaments. I lost like 40 rating points and I was, I think it was, the first time I dropped under 2,500 and I was like, holy smokes, what's happening, right? Well, what was happening? So bad? Um, I think the big shock was playing two rounds a day. That was huge. And I think this is something that a lot of players that come uh, from other parts of the world, especially for university, they're not used to that. So I did not have time to prepare in between rounds. That was a big one because preparation has always been um, a core tenet, let's say, of, uh, of, of, of my um, competition game plan. Like I always try to prepare as much as possible before a game. I did not have time to do that um, in, in open tournaments in the US and that still happens. So I feel that's a big one. The players are somewhat, I feel they're a bit more booked up in the US than they are in, um, 
in in Europe, or at least that was the case, let's say, when I first arrived to the US, which was um, how many years ago? I think that was almost 12 years ago. Wow. Wow. Time flies. Yeah. So um, players are booked up. I didn't have time to actually uh, get, get my preparation going. So that's kind of why I feel I lost so many rating points at the beginning. And then I kind of slowly started adjusting. I changed from being a 1E4 player to, to a 1D4 player and trying to avoid all those sharp Sicilians and um, and things of that nature. And um, I, I try to not rely as much on my very concrete preparation anymore. And I think that helped me kind of get back on track. And then you could torture Fabiano with preparation instead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, or, or he tortures me, yeah. Um, yeah, because that's that's how it usually goes. He he kind of delegates work to his seconds, and then we basically work on what he uh, tells us to work. Like, hey, look at this line in the Sicilian, see if it's interesting, and then we kind of go back to him, and we start discussing that. We show him our findings and things of that nature, and then that's how we progress. And when you're showing your findings, is it like uh, you're giving like a big report printed no, out from no no, no it's it, it's much less uh, formal <laughs> i i mean i i'm sure different teams have different um ways of working with each other and different objectives we kept things from a get-go from a very early on quite informal um in the initial team uh, it was me uh, Rustam Kasimjanov, I'm talking about the 2018 uh, match right now. Rustam Kasimjanov, uh, Alejandro Ramirez, and uh, Lenier Dominguez. And um, yeah, we, it, it was a good team. Everybody trusted each other. Um, everybody was on very friendly terms with, with one another. So that definitely helped the team atmosphere. And uh, yeah, the findings that we we, we were discussing about were basically just uh us giving him the files that we have been working on and telling him where the critical moments are and um yeah basically just telling him our ideas whether they we believe they're let's say risky or too dry or things of that nature and then uh, he decides whether he wants to play them or not yeah, and Fabio always had the, of course, always had the final decision on. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, but that's uh, another thing. He usually he he trusts his uh, his seconds and the people that work for him quite a lot. So, um, sure, he will make the decision, but we kind of decide that together before the games. Hey, we're going to play this if they go in this path, and he generally doesn't deviate from that. Kazimjanov, of course, was on Anand's team. Yep. Um, and I'm sure, you know, he had experience managing a team to some degree, right? Like, uh, I, I don't think he was the main guy. I think Peter Heine Nielsen was the main guy in the non-camp, but, but still yeah. like, uh, I, I don't in know. In our I, camp, in, in our camp, he was the main guy after Fabi. Yeah. So he was the guy organizing everything, um, putting all the files together and things of that nature. Uh, Rustam, that is. Did you work with Fabi on the uh, on the candidates this year? Or are you no. not allowed to say? No, no, I was I was I was not on the team. No, no, I'm uh, I, I was not on the team uh, for for the candidates. The most recent that I've helped Fabi with 
was uh, the Sinclair Cup. And actually, this was the first time that we worked together in this capacity for the last three years or so, wow. since 2019, I think. Wow. But I imagine also he has maybe a smaller team when he's not... Uh... Well, I know also he some stuff happened with Kazimjanov, like... Pop. Yes, a, a lot of things obviously changed in in his team um, in in recent times, but uh, I, I think he already kind of discussed that. Yeah, on on different occasions. Yeah, I, I you know the even that world championship match. Uh, what was going through your head throughout the match? I mean, dude, were you like because there were like Fabi really had some good moments to win that match. I think that's like the most evenly played match in. Oh man, chess <laughs> history. Uh, yeah, I is it painful to talk it... about? No, no, no. I mean, it's it's been a while. Um, it 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 was a very interesting experience, a new experience from me because obviously I did not have um, much of an experience uh, coaching at that level and working for a player of that level at that point in time. Um, I've worked with guys like Jeffrey Strong or things of uh, you know people close to 2700 but i've never worked with an elite player such as fabiano so um but during the match i would say it, it, it was the the pressure was intense and um watching especially with the help of an engine and seeing all the mistakes and and all the options that both players have throughout the game and um it's uh it, it's pretty intense so i'll tell you a funny story for from the first game the first game was actually the game in which he had the most problems almost in the match he was completely lost fabiano that is and um i've actually checked the opening realized that things are not going the right direction and then since we generally were working during the night and we were waking up pretty early before the games, um, the time during the game, during the actual game, was used to try to regain our energy, uh, maybe take a nap, things of that nature. So I took a nap. And then I woke up immediately after he escaped. So um, I think it was right after the time control, uh, maybe even like move 40 or move 41. I don't remember exactly. But basically, he was completely lost. And if Magnus would have found the right way, he would have taken him down. And I can only imagine how difficult it would have been if I didn't take that nap. <laughs> how difficult it would be to actually watch the game and, and live through those moments, very intense moments. Um, so, but yes, of course, that game, I think it was game six when he was uh, winning. Was that? yeah the fortress the black pieces yes um and then of course the first game when we employed this knight to d5 and we took him out of his uh his his preparation and we came up with some really cool ideas um and he actually got the winning position uh, out of the opening and didn't manage to convert that was a very difficult one as well ups and downs of course and and the pressure was 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 quite high but um every single day when i was feeling the pressure i was looking at fabiano and and he seemed cool calm and collected and i was like look if i'm feeling pressure i can only imagine how much pressure this guy feels right so that kind of uh gave us the necessary energy to 
give our best all throughout the match. How do you, this is maybe a childish question, but how do you prepare for Magnus Carlsen? Like, what is that like? Like, <laughs> you know, like what, like what exactly, aside from looking for good positions, like what kind of positions were you looking for against Magnus? Well, for, for a match, you kind of have to get ready for everything. Um, so this is what we basically tried to do for, I think it was something along the lines of six months, uh, maybe even more than that. We started working, I think it was for the candidates. We had the candidates camp in January and then um, the candidates, I believe, was in March and then he won that one and then we started having sporadic camps here and there and then um, he played the Olympiad and immediately after the Olympiad, we did our last camp in, um, in Spain. So you basically try to cover everything. Um, obviously, you know how you will start as white. You know what moves you're going to start with. Um, but as black, you have to prepare against pretty much every single option. E4, D4, Knight F3, C4. Um, all the transpositions, right? Everything random. Yes, all, all the random stuff that you can imagine. So... The preparation for a world championship match is is, is very different than um, preparation against uh, any other opponent yeah, that you will meet here and there um, because you just have to cover everything. Um, and you have to come up with new ideas all the time because it's very... You, you probably shouldn't play things that you've played before. So you have to come up with a wide range of options, you know, very, very wide range of... Um, um, of ideas yeah do you think that um players have too long like too much time to prepare for like post the candidates like what do you think about the world championship format in general yeah yeah i mean um i'm 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 a fan of it for the most part i do understand the people that are saying that we should have a um world championship every single year or things of that nature don't give them too much time in between um implement rapid and blitz more than it's already implemented um i like the way it is i like the prestige that it brings having a world championship match every two years um the build-up in anticipation of that world championship i think it's extremely important so um i like that i understand and i i i, I think this is one of the reasons magnus is not looking to defend or at least this is what he's saying because it just takes away um half half of the year yeah i mean you, you cannot do anything for half of the year in preparation for that world championship match you cannot have a life you cannot fa have a family because you're going to be gone from home um it's crazy you're going to be in a training camp for like six months of that year right and then everything concludes in three weeks so um yeah i'm I'm a fan of it, but I can also understand the other side of the argument that says, yes, let's make it a bit more um, fast-paced, a bit more uh, viewer-friendly, and um, yeah, let's have it a bit more often, I guess, every year. The only problem that I think exists is I really don't like that I think like the World Championship gets settled in Rapid, uh, mm. personally. And I don't know if that's even avoidable, but clearly we've seen in 2022 plenty of 
plenty of uh, ones and O's in classical chess. You know, yep. there's classical chess is not dead, in my opinion. We don't have to worry about draws. I think anybody who needs to play for a win knows how to play for a win in 2022. That's not going to change in 50 years from now unless, you know, engines solve chess. So I don't really think there's... Also, I, what I would say is if you look on Twitch, like how popular these matches have been, the last two matches, the candidates, yeah. you know, if those are broadcasted, it's like people have their fans who come watch classical tournaments because it feels like it means something. It's a great celebration, yeah. And of course, the World Championship match is uh the event uh in the chess world right like like for fabi to go out and rapid after you know being completely evenly matched in 12 games kind of seems a little unfair to me and like if it were me if you do want to make a change why not just have it as like best of two wins which i also think somebody suggested on your podcast like just having like or maybe this was hikaru talking on on lex friedman or something i remember i remember somebody giving this idea like you have like uh you have your classical games and it's just like whoever wins two games wins mm. so that's it you okay so uh-huh from the beginning from, from the beginning game, no. so if you win game Got one it. and game two that's it like there's that's that you it. go home that's, that's it but then again i mean you can make the same argument that if uh there were more games or if that was the format maybe things would be different in the last few games that's true in the last one right right um where magnus felt like he's ready to just uh go into the tie breaks i think this was part of his strategy or at least it felt like it was part of his strategy because he had some good opportunities even with with black yeah in, yeah in i remember the match. criticism he had also from kasparov and I, I remember that very vividly how he was like his this position was like minus two mm. or something and mm. he just offered a draw just because he he did the calculation that he'd be better in uh in yeah. the rapid okay it turned out to be true that uh that he well he won um but uh so but i still remember he was criticized like across the board for like you know not a, having a heart of a champion or not trying to win it like in the classical yeah, no, I I feel Magnus feels very strongly about his uh, strength when it comes to rapid time control matches. Um, not one particular game, uh, just uh, one singular game, but rather rapid matches. And to be honest, he showed that in a lot of his uh, tours championships, right? He's been winning this... Uh, um, like the online, yeah. How, how is it called? The Magnus Walker. Carlson... Yeah, we, we call it the Magnus Carlson. Yeah, but Meltwater so, Online yeah. Champions Chess Tour or something. <laughs> yeah, the CCT Meltwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, I prefer yeah, the Magnus it, Carlson, the Magnus Carlson Tour with the Magnus Carlson Tournament. With uh, that's you know. that's how that's how we like to call it as well. That was yeah, that that's pretty pretty funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, in hindsight, it, it feels like it was the right decision for him, and. Um, yeah, I, I didn't understand necessarily all the criticism. I understood that, sure, he had a better position and probably he knew that as well. But, um, you know, from his perspective, with so much on the line on one single game, I think he felt his chances are better not to make mistakes and um, spoil everything in, in a mini-match, right? Which um, he showed to be the case in the rapid mini-match. Absolutely. And uh, what do you think about the upcoming uh, World Championship? So who do we have? We have Nepo versus Ding, right? Yeah. Um, no hype around that at all. Z I, like zero. 
as of right now, I haven't heard too much uh, about it. I haven't heard a lot of details about it. That's going to be a very interesting match. Um, the the hype is obviously died down, um, and for good reasons, right? Everybody wants to watch Magnus defend, and everybody, I feel, is disappointed by the fact that this was his decision, and and um, and 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 now, but you know, it, this is going to be a very interesting match. Is uh, Russia versus uh, China? Is 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 Nepo who? Uh, sure, he had a bad match against Magnus, but he's been proving himself ever since. He's been playing very, very good chess. He just eliminated Magnus uh, in the Fisher Random today. So he's definitely showing that he's one of the top contenders in pretty much every single format. So you have that. And on the other hand, you have Ding, who a lot of people were touting him as, let's say, the successor to to, to Magnus and um a lot of people well right now he's number two in the world he was a bit inactive uh during the covid years and that kind of took him out of uh, the uh, mainstream attention but uh he's back and he's back with the vengeance and to be honest i mean after the first half of the candidates it felt like ding is completely out it didn't feel like he's yeah I'd, I'd, i thought it was going to be nepo versus hikaru i was it, certain it is it, just another uh, reiteration of what happened in 2020 with ding yeah he he lost a couple of games in the first part of the candidates and never recovered and then he goes on on this ridiculous streak and manages to get second by winning in the last one against hikaru so that was yeah i mean it's 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 a great story and uh ding is showing to be a very very worthy competitor and um a big challenger so that's going to be a very interesting match what my official prediction is if you want to call it i i mean i don't know i think we're a bit far from the match and i don't have too much information but um Nepo has the experience. That's one thing. I feel Nepo definitely has gathered a lot of experience and has learned how to play matches very well. Um, and and I feel he dealt with the pain and and the disappointment of losing against Magnus um, quite well, and a lot of criticism as well that he got due to uh, the way he lost and it didn't feel like it was competitive. Uh, but he dealt with that very, very well. Psychologically, you can see that he's um, back and maybe better than uh, than he was before. And he still has the confidence. And we know that whenever Nepo has the confidence, he's a very dangerous player. Um, so is Ding. Ding's preparation is ridiculous. He's probably going to have um, an incredible team working for him, um, a lot of coaches. Um, now, I'm not sure how still the restrictions will be impacting him because I know that in China things are still uh, a bit on the edge. Um, so all of those factors are going to be very relevant as we get closer and closer to that match. But yeah, I think uh, I, I think it's going to be a good one. I think also, yeah, well, China also, I still their official policy is still zero COVID. So that's going to be yes. very hard to uh, organize any kind of training camp at the same capacity that you would like where you... I, I, I've read a little bit about how these training camps go. You try to bring other players to play like little blitz games with, uh, you know, test some openings, tweak some stuff, just, you know, get, get, get into some mental habits and stuff. Uh, I but can't at imagine. the same time, it feels like they were quite supportive in uh, preparation of uh, the candidates. So 
perhaps that's a good trend that we're seeing coming from uh, the Chinese Chess Federation and um, the way the government is helping them. Uh, it yeah. feels like, yeah, they're, they're interested in supporting this endeavor. And I think they realize they have a huge opportunity to um, get the first world chess champion from China. Which would be incredible. It yeah. would be, you know, for, for, for China would be, would be a real, uh, I mean, but then you could question how much does that mean when, you know, Magnus is still far and beyond the best chess player in classical anyway. Um, and he's not the official world chess champion. You might have this same situation like 20 years ago with Gary, mm -hmm. you know, walking around. Although, you know, Kramnik was a very, very, very good player. I think he, he deserves his title, but in kind of the years post Kasparov where there's like 10 different world champions or something like <laughs> And uh, people don't really call them world champions, even though they, they should be officially. Um, but there's like the undisputed world champion thing now where it's like, you know, Kramnik and then Anand. Like guys like uh, like Kazim Dijanov, I think, won the FIDE World Championship, actually. Uh, Panamaryov, um, a couple of guys yeah. who in between yeah, were like in, kind in, of... In just... different formats, right? Right. So there's definitely going to be an asterisk uh, next, to, next to those names. Um, yeah. And and I'm sure there's going to be an asterisk next to this one until either people forget or Magnus returns. Um, we'll see. I think Magnus will return. I have yes, a feeling that's that's that that's something that we're, we were thinking about, of course. But then again, um, will he return if he has to go through the candidates? That's a completely different question to me, and I don't think he would play. Uh, the candidates and try to go through the cycle to qualify for the candidates. Well, actually, probably he would qualify. Well, he's number one by rating every year. I mean, if we yeah, assume that he's yeah. been number one for a while, I think he he never has to worry about that. He'll qualify by rating. No problem about that. But then to go through the candidates and actually try to win that one, which is a grueling process. I mean, you, you do need to train very, uh, very seriously and very diligently for those candidates. You have, um, you know, you're against 13 of the best competitors in the world. So, you have to be very diligent. You have to have training camps, which seem to be a part of the reason why Magnus doesn't want to um, go that route. So, but then again, the, the the cycle could change. The format of the cycle could change. And then we're going to see a completely different story. Yeah. Uh, the world of chess. Fascinating is, place. Is, is definitely <laughs> a fascinating place nowadays. Yeah. 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 It's a... It, no shortage of surprises in the last two months either. Oh, the, the, the chess world definitely changed in the last uh, two months. Well, what what has that been like for you? I, I know you guys cover this a little bit, but like on kind of on a on a personal level, let's say you know you have to do interviews during the world the U.S. Championship. Also, that was another yeah. thing I was going to ask you about, uh, but we'll yeah. do it in a sec. And Hans, you know, you guys have been having Hans takes on your podcast, and now you gotta you gotta interview him like how does that actually um like how does that go down like 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 what, what's like the whole vibe at the club you know i i'm very curious about that kind of stuff because like i i know i sound a bit vague right now but i guess you know this is a touchy subject <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and i, I think don't... we all try to keep it pretty professional yeah um we've been uh we we've known hans for a while uh sure there's been takes we we try to analyze things as best as we could um but when he comes when i act as a commentator and uh he comes in to get an interview i think everybody is 
um, trying to do their best in terms of maintaining their professionalism, right? And actually, you know, Hans is the same. There's no, uh, it, it doesn't feel at least whenever he comes inside the interviewing space that there is any animosity towards towards me, right? Mm -hmm. um, well, you so, weren't in the lawsuit, so you're you're safe. Right, right, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. He, yeah. Um, we've dodged that bullet, as they say, right? <laughs> Indeed. But yeah, I mean, the first time he came, uh, he, and we discussed that in the podcast as well, and Alejandro mentioned it also. He comes in and he asks not to, uh, not to be interrupted. He says, I'm going to say my piece and then we're going to move on. There's not going to be any analysis. And I'm talking about the first uh, round. But um, yeah, he came in and he said his piece and he said no analysis. And I understand his position on some degree because his analysis has been uh, scrutinized quite uh, heavily by a lot of people. And maybe he felt uh, that he, you know, he shouldn't give that type of ammunition to his uh, critics so i understand that and i i feel from me i i enjoyed it i mean even if he like <laughs> you know tells some uh some, some the stories are stuff. great some of the stories uh, he told were hilarious yeah the, the the stories and then uh saying things like you guys uh, only care about the views i mean i i'm enjoying that i yes sure i mean we're we're here to put on a show, so uh, you know the stories with Uber Eats and things of that nature. Yeah, we'll we'll embrace that. There's no animosity there, right? How do you you know some of the people you interview at these tournaments are like they're kids, we're <laughs> young, yeah. But you you find a way to like in a way you know you can't exactly speak the same way, but you make it feel like it is. You know, like like you you see obviously you respect them as professionals and stuff like that. But how do you actually? Because I've thought about interviewing some of the younger chess talents on this podcast. And so I'm like ge just genuinely curious. Like how do you, you know, you it's like, I don't know. If you're speaking to a guy like Fabi, you can, you know, make certain remarks. And like, you know, you, you, can, you, you can be a bit more of an adult, right? But like you still, like, I guess I'm wondering, like, how do you find the the balance between like, oh, this is a kid. And like, you don't want to like over scrutinize them or like say stuff that's like. No, but I, I, I treat them as professionals and, and I feel them being so good at chess and at such an young age and so well-traveled and things of that nature. It, it's, it's very easy to connect with them. Also, I've known that most of them for a very long time. That's um, true. Again, I've known Jeffrey and I've actually even trained with Jeffrey um for like 10 years right i've known jeffrey for 10 years we we've had some brief stints when we trained together but i know most of these players i know christopher Yu since he was 10 as well um he was coming to uh the elite chess team that's uh, how it was called in in the bay area and i was coaching that so i've known these kids for a very long time and um i think that helps a little bit maybe the first couple of times when i did I think the juniors um, commentary and things of that nature, maybe then it was a little bit more difficult, but they know me now. I know them. Um, so it's, it's easy to connect with them. I don't need even need to adjust too much to that. Um, and they're good. I mean, they're actually very, very well-spoken in front of the camera and that helps as well. Yeah. That's always, uh, I'm sure you'll go through this on your podcast eventually where you'll, you'll have guests. I think like one of the, 
one of the skills I've had to develop, which has helped me a lot in my personal life too, is like, I think sometimes you meet someone on a podcast and they're not super talkative. Uh-huh. But the whole point of the podcast, if it's an interview podcast, is to have a discussion. Of course. So, you know, and it's, it's, it's always someone that you've wanted to have on the show, you like deeply respect and like really want to hear their thoughts. So like it becomes this like, uh, it becomes this, it's, it's like a cat and mouse kind of thing where you're, you're trying to, you're trying to like get the openings that to get someone to like open up a bit more and like build their trust. And it, it, it it's, uh, it, that's a, a lot of fun to me, but it's, it's something you have to do whenever you're interviewing, you know, if there's, so it's, it, it's my, my, my long winded point is that it's way easier when people are just good in front of the camera, in front of the mic and they're just oh, like, ready to go. <laughs> I've I've had some awkward interviews as well where people were just not like speaking or giving me one word answers and things of that nature and then you just have to uh move the conversation as 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 best as you can basically and um I I feel you know like 2016 me is a completely different uh caster and and commentator than 2022 me and uh I, I try to, yeah, Im- improve this type of like, let's say, speaking decision making uh, with with every interview that I make. Yeah, I actually, it's funny. I actually think you it was. I think it was you, Jen Shahadi, Yasser, mm-hmm. and it was either Maurice or Alejandro, or maybe it was all five. I don't remember, but it was. I remember. I think it was 2017 Champion Showdown. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know if you did that one. I'm kind of forgetting, but yep. that was like the first chess tournament I ever watched. Yep. Yeah. Um, showdown. I, I used to do this thing called the Counts Corner. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why. And so I I so you but you were actually like the first chess commentator I well among the first anyway that I'd ever watched because I had just gotten into chess back then. Mm. I've been yeah. around for so long. Um so it's now it's come full circle. It's pretty funny, you know. Yeah. 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 Those uh those were uh, the good times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so much has changed in the last... I mean, chess has really gone through like five different eras in like as many years. <laughs> it has grown also exponentially, right? It's you've insane. Had so many booms you, you, you've had, especially since 2020. Like 2020, the last two years, the speed of, of growth in, in the world of chess and uh, the speed of uh, the... Uh, the, the the distance we've covered yeah in the world of chess um has just been ridiculous you've had the covid boom which was huge then you had the queen's gambit um then you had candidates the second part of the candidates um and the growth that we've seen on youtube and twitch i think this has helped a lot to uh to reach a new audience right that maybe we did not know it exists so uh yeah it's things are moving fast and things don't seem to slow down right now i mean even the hans stuff right has you know people are talking about chess a lot now that that always turns you know even that's what they say like all even bad press is good press the hans stuff has just been ridiculous in terms of magnitude yeah like everybody is talking about it i have uh <laughs> it's uh, so I, I i i train uh martial arts and um i came back from i think it was the singfield cup and i went back to my gym and they know that i'm a chess player and the first thing that they asked me is like hey do you have your uh your beads with you <laughs> <laughs> like everybody knows about it everybody has read about it 
uh, my fiance's parents know about it and they have no clue um, about chess or follow chess at all. But I mean, it's been in every single major newspaper. Elon Musk tweets about it. Uh, Joe Rogan talks about it on his podcast. Lex, Lex Friedman seems to ask everyone about it. Yeah. Has like five chess guests in the past <laughs> like two months. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's moving fast and uh, it it doesn't seem to be slowing down. And you know, um, it's it's a good thing for chess. I think it's a good thing for chess as long as we manage to not necessarily maintain the momentum, but rather. Um, maintain the new audience that we're getting um and and maintain that through good events through good personalities in in the world of chess uh through good games um, good yeah good content and all that yeah good games a lot of fun i and 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 i feel like a lot of the chess players are starting to understand that and that helps the chess world as well um because we you know back in the days it used to be the gentlemanly sport everybody was you know um very cordial with one another never insulting anybody else there were no twitter beefs there, there was no. nothing <laughs> now like i just need to i have to start a beef with uh c squared <laughs> podcast uh twitter right. account now right that's that's the next one yeah that's oh i mean that's one of the things that we don't uh we <laughs> We, we were sort of beefing, let's say, with Anish. We were just like taunting each other, and that was fun. Um, That's a guy you got to get on the podcast. He's instant, oh, instant content. We, we, we would love to, to, to have him. him on, and I'm sure we'll, we'll at some point get him on. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> it's funny. It's, it, it, it's, it's a very interesting time. In he beats with me, too. He's ratioed me like six times this year. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. He, he does that, yeah. 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 yeah we, well, we we came back. We we ratioed him. No, you 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 have to. You always have to up the scores. But he. But I I don't have that kind of power. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, basically what what happened to him with Fabi. Yeah. He got ratioed once, and then he was like, "Oh my goodness, I got ratioed." And then he was like, "Yeah, take this ratio." Again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fa I mean, Fabi's Fabi's got the he's got the jokes on Twitter now too. He's he's yeah he's definitely yeah improving his Twitter game, and that's that's a good thing. But you know, I my theory about the chess boom, um, which I haven't really ever said on the podcast, is I I think why chess has struggled always to gain viewers is I think people in chess or sponsors of chess think that most people on planet Earth are stupid. Mm. My whole personal philosophy with everything I do is that most people are not stupid. Mm -hmm. They're just they may not know stuff about stuff, but most people are actually very smart. I agree. And when it comes to chess, and they're very willing to learn. And when it comes to chess, you know, we think of it as like such a smart, intelligent person game, whatever, that you have to be, a, you know, above a certain, like, anything to really understand it. Mm -hmm. But that's clearly not true, because it, a lot of people have this interest. And so like guys like Gotham Chess, for example, one thing I've always respected about Levy is that he knows how to break down complicated concepts very simply mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. a wide audience. And they don't even know it, but he's break, he breaks down very sometimes very subtle positional ideas methodically a, yeah yeah in a methodical and fun way but also fun yes yes which yes. is critical but again that's because people aren't stupid and they can learn the stuff and i think once like the chess world re realizes like hey actually people would be you know down to 
watch a chess tournament and you know there are ways to make it more fun and do more of these kinds of like blending the public together i i I think someone had some idea to do like a match like a chess match like in a box like a glass box and just like in some square in london just like you just do something like interesting stuff like that like get the public interested into you know it's chess is a game that has so much cultural relevancy absolutely yeah and You can't like, and at the same time, it gets like no attention. I mean, why are people so interested in fighting sports beyond, you know, just watching people beat each other up? No one is going to be as good of a, you know, boxer as Mike Tyson or anything close, mm-hmm. right? 99% of people watch, but they can still learn stuff about fighting. They can still learn the history. I, they, I don't see. They, they, okay. Fighting is also easy to watch, right? Because it's very easy to understand who's winning and who's not. In, in the Fair. chess world, <laughs> I think this is why it's important that. Uh, we're getting more and more very knowledgeable, but also very um, uh, good commentators that can break down ideas and concepts very easily to to the wider audience. And I think that really helps. And I think um, that helped a lot in the last few years to kind of get uh, and amass this new audience. So yeah, um, I think there's a lot of potential with chess. There's a lot. We should... Uh, we we should try as many things as possible. Uh, we, we, any sort of like new content, new initiative, new formats. I mean, look at Duck Chess, yeah, for example. Dude, Duck Chess uh, is crazy. Someone needs to organize great. a someone needs to organize a Duck Chess World Championship. Like that it's, that's it's that's great. an event that needs to happen. Chess.com. If you're listening to this, I'm calling on you. Organize the Duck Chess World <laughs> Chess Championship. I will stream that stuff every day. I will commentate that. Whatever it takes. I need that event. I play a lot of duck chess. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, right? Um, it, it, and it's a great game. And again, it's easily understood. And it uh, balances the level actually quite quickly. Because, for example, I've been playing... I played a couple of games of duck chess with like people that actually played it. They were much lower rated in terms of like chess rating, but played duck chess more than I did. And they were completely destroying me. You know, they were like, yeah, I know exactly what to do. Uh, In a way, it hurts to be really good because you expect checkmates and stuff. And then king can just capture your queen, for example, and block the, you know, like stuff like that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It adds a completely new layer to your chess understanding. And it requires some time to get adjusted to it. Because I have to say, every time I see the duck, I want to capture the duck. (laughs) in my head, I always want to capture the duck. I want to take the duck. And then, okay, you cannot take the duck, right? And then you have to readjust your uh, method of, of of thinking about certain positions. And also the calculations or the tactics are amazing with uh, using the duck. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely a cool variant. It's also, it's similar enough to normal chess that it's easy to learn compared to like some of this stuff like atomic chess and, you know, some of these other like insane chess variants. I still like duck chess is chess with one added thing. I mean, it's not like learning like, you know, some of these older chess variants on chess.com with all the new just pieces and stuff. Yeah. Yep. You just add one detail and the whole game changes. It's great. Yeah. 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 No, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great thing. And, uh, yeah, it helps. Yeah. I will, I will just, um, I'll end off this podcast with one more question. This is stolen sure. from, from Mr. Lex Friedman. Okay. Um, He'd been asking this to a couple of the chess players, and I think it's a great question, actually. And it's just, what do you find most beautiful about the game of chess? All right, let me think about it. Um, so 
I'm actually going to play chess for the first time in like three years in just a couple of um, couple of days. Where? Um, it's in St. Louis at the Fall Classic. Oh, great. So I haven't played since uh, the World Open in 2019. That was September 2019. So it's been a while. Now, and I've been thinking about it. You know, why, why am I actually playing? You know, because I'm not as, uh, let's say, focused on playing. I'm rather much more focused on coaching and doing commentary and now the podcast. But then I realized that it's it's a great way to immerse yourself and get yourself to the next level as a human being whenever you are facing a, another human being in in this type of competition um very psychological competition you you have so many things that you need to solve during a game so many puzzles that you need to solve uh, during game that it forces you to uh, to grow as a person um and the instant connection between yourself and your opponent i feel is another thing that really uh, captivates me about about chess and i sort of forgot it since i stopped playing as much but now because i've been training with some of my students i've been competing and playing uh, training games with some of them and uh, that feeling came back, and and it's something that I really That's enjoy awesome. about chess. That's sick. And uh, you planning on playing more tournaments, like more regularly now? Aside from whenever this... I can, yeah, whenever I can, whenever the schedule allows, I will, I, I will, I will try to play for sure. That's awesome. That's really great to hear. I'm, it's also free content for the podcast too. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get yeah. Fabi Fabi commentating some uh, some some GM games in the uh, fall. Yeah, I'm not fall sure Classic. about that. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's he's busy with uh, with some other commentary gigs uh, for yeah you know, global chess championship or whatever that is. Yeah. Heard of that? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think Fabi's going to to Toronto this uh, this coming week. Oh, exciting! And I'm sure you guys have plans for recording, even remote and stuff like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So next. This coming week, uh, we actually have Jennifer Yu on the podcast. Oh, that's sick. That's we've, great. Uh, we've recorded um, a podcast with her after she won the U.S. Uh, Women's Championship. So she's going to be on. And then, yeah, we'll figure out who we're going to have on um, after that. Well, there's a lot of people to pick from. and yeah, there, uh, there are. Yes, there are. Yeah. Well, in any case, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. I'm a big uh, proponent of you know giving people their flowers. Um when they're in front of me and i just want you to know that uh c squared podcast is like by far my favorite podcast i like it more than my own <laughs> significantly uh and i i'm really impressed by the work you've put in it really shines through the enthusiasm shines through i really hope uh, i wish you guys all the success in the world you deserve it and um <laughs> cheers you know. man i appreciate that thank yeah. you very much yeah and uh maybe i'll see you in st louis one day for sure yeah we're big fans of of your podcast as well so. happy to hear i got lots of big fans actually i forgot to mention this you're you're in chess life magazine again uh they made a podcast thing they they the first page of chess life magazine is about uh is about chess podcasts oh really That's yeah cool. it's, it's just a breakdown of some chess podcasts you're in there i'm in there i will have to i will have to uh, have to, uh, to open your subscription out. yeah go open your subscription as uh as a uscf member they they, they said some nice stuff about about your podcast so Go check it That's out. That's awesome. I will definitely check it out. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. They said nothing really of note about me. They just said it was one paragraph. So, uh, and said they well, they gave me free press. So, thank you, Chess Life. Uh, 
you know, keep keep bringing good guests. Keep me humble. You had uh, you had Peter Zwiedler on. That was uh, that was a great one. I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed a lot of a lot of your work. So keep uh, yeah, keep doing, doing my it. best. Doing my best. You know how it is. And doing uh, good work. And and yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I also got to thank my sponsor Chessable for all the support. They've helped a lot with uh, bringing bringing guests here in the past and uh, giving me the connections and and support I need to produce this podcast. Even some free courses. I've become a beast in the French because of Chessable. So. Chesbel and Anish. So, uh, I hate so. the French. I hated the French. You talked about, you know, being a different player, a different person you were in like 2016. You could yeah. go to the start of the podcast where I'm like, dunk, like just dunking on the French. And now I'm like an out and proud French defense player. And I love it. And it brings me joy to actually play it, which is something I would have never dreamed. So the world yep. will stop when I when <laughs> I start playing the French. Amazing, <laughs> amazing. Well, on that note, uh, Christian, thanks for coming. You're always welcome back on the podcast, and uh, best of luck with uh, with the rest of your year. And uh, very, very big fan, and uh, and keep moving forward. Thank you very much, David. Thanks everybody for listening to this episode. You know where to check me out. You know where to check out Christian's podcast. Uh, give him a follow. Give me a follow. Check us out on Twitter in the links below. Uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. I really did. And uh, see you next time. Take it easy.